Welcome to episode 14 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in virtual studio by my good friend and by uh, just the, the guy that I rely on for sanity in navigating these troubled times, the one, the only, John Scott Sloat. Matt, what's happening today? Well, uh, this is uh, our second go round with the virtual studio. And I think, from what I can tell, I think last week worked out all right. So it's uh, preferable to be in the actual physical studio, face to face, having our conversation, but we will make do with uh, our virtual reality studio here. And we want to be honoring of our government authorities. Yeah, and I think we're on week three of quarantine. Uh, how are you guys doing? Yeah, it's, um, I think that, uh, you know, we're experiencing the same sort of uh, disconnect that I think a lot of people are in terms of often struggling to remember what day is this? Yeah. Um, since most of the days feel and look similar. Um, and, uh, you know, also by this point, you, you've also run through probably most of the, um, well, we could rewatch this show, or maybe we could start this new show, or we could watch this movie, or you're, you kind of burned through the game collection in the house probably by now. And uh, we've also done a decent bit of, we did some painting of the trim and in the house and deep clean the carpets and the upholstery and um, also replaced some blinds. So, you know, after a while you start to run out of some of those things, but uh, I think we're doing all right. The warmer weather helps. The warmer weather getting outside really helps. Yeah, I think, I think last week was difficult just because it rained, it was cold, and, and this week's been a lot better already because the sun's been out. Although it stormed last night, I think the sun's supposed to, supposed to come out this afternoon. So. Yeah, yeah that, that absolutely helps. So, uh, well, we certainly encourage you to uh, connect with us on Twitter, at Pod, as well as you can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I don't know, John, have you checked? Have we gotten any new reviews or ratings? I checked maybe 10, 10 days ago, a week ago. I haven't seen anything new. So, but we'd okay. love, we'd love to see some new, some new, uh, some we would reviews. absolutely love to see some new, uh, reviews and ratings. Uh, and so if you have a chance, go ahead and, uh, and do that for us. It does help people who don't know about the show, uh, find it. But, um, so, uh, in terms of what we're going to talk about, uh, today, again, since, the, the world of sports has largely come to a halt. Uh, there's not a lot to talk about. Uh, I think you had mentioned before we went on that the Masters is rescheduled. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I heard yesterday that the, that the Masters rescheduled for November, uh, which is, uh, I think, a, f a fascinating time of year to have uh, the Masters in Augusta, Georgia. Um, so, so that should be pretty interesting. Um, and I think the, uh, the British Open, uh, which is a, a golf tournament, canceled yesterday as well, which I, I didn't know it was still planning to play until, until yesterday. So Yeah, I, I, I suppose that when, you're, uh, when your prime minister goes into the hospital ICU area, that's probably yeah, that's a, crazy, uh, isn't it? That's probably a sign that maybe you shouldn't be playing. But That's anyway. wild. Yeah, yeah it's, 
it's pretty pretty uh pretty strange times but Boris. one thing that uh is in the realm of sports that i thought we could talk about briefly is the fact that apparently the nba now i'm not sure this is official yet i don't think it is but they're discussing hosting a horse tournament and so uh john why don't you explain to our listeners who may not be as up on sports what what is what, what does the game of horse entail when it comes to basketball yeah so uh basically horse is a game where one person you know you two to however many people you want one person hits a shot and then everybody else has to hit that same shot otherwise they get a letter um, and if they spell the word horse eventually by missing a number of shots, uh, they, they then lose the game. And, and, you know, there's different iterations. You could play pig or horse, or we used to play monkey if we wanted to play for a long time when I was a kid. Right. So when, uh, when you were a kid, did you have a go-to shot in horse or a set of go-to shots or what was your strategy in general? Yeah. Well, as I, I didn't play basketball growing up, so uh, my strategy, uh, because I wasn't a good shooter, was always to have weird shots that other people wouldn't normally take. So over the backboard, bouncing it off the ground, hitting it off the house, a- anything like that, anything I could do to to just make it weird, um, I, I was trying to do to to make the shot so that people who could actually shoot and could actually play, play basketball couldn't couldn't practice it or see it coming. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good strategy. Um, I think having one or two kind of go-to shots that are a little unusual can be uh, an excellent way to over uh, overcome perhaps a difference in sort of pure shooting talent. And if I was playing against somebody that didn't know me, I would just say, "Oh, this is left-handed, by the way." And as a left-handed person, it was very easy. Yeah, uh, but I would just sort of do that over and over again until they <laughs> caught on that that I was left-handed. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. So nowadays, when I play uh, horse or pig with my with my own sons, who are uh, one just turned twenty-two yesterday, and then uh, one's going to turn nineteen next month. So obviously, I've I've lost the athleticism advantage long ago mm. at this stage. So they like to try. They like to do shots that. Uh, are a little beyond my athletic ability at this stage in terms of things like toss it off the backboard, catch it in the air, wrap it under your leg, and then bring it back up and shoot a layup. You know, that kind of stuff where it's like, come on, guys, seriously. like. <laughs> but, you know, the advantage you have is I think you're a better shooter than both your sons. Is that fair to say? Now that's a hot take, and you 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 will probably get some pushback from both of our boys about that statement. The the last thing to go is shooting. The last that's thing true. to go in a in a person is their shooting. That's true, and typically one of my strategies is um, I will I will shoot bank shots from weird places that most people don't shoot bank shots from, and that's mm-hmm. always a way to get a cheap letter typically in in those kind of games where it's you know, there are certain angles on the court where bank shots are normal, right? But, you know, there are other places where it's like, no one would ever try a bank shot from here. But when you can consistently make it, that can get you some cheap points there. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good strategy. So in this competition that the NBA is contemplating, they're going to have uh, players competing uh, 
not in the same gym, but each player is going to be in their own home gym doing the shot. And then, so they compete. I think it's just going to be one-on-one. So it's going to be set up kind of like a tournament, I think, where you play one other person and then you keep advancing. So yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. How can we guarantee they're not just taking multiple takes to make this shot? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if the NBA is going to step in and uh, sort of guarantee the, uh, the integrity of the process. I'm not sure. They're going no, inst- to institute replay reviews and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> but sure it wouldn't surprise me because you, you know there's going to be gambling on this. You yeah, know absolutely. Vegas is going to set lines and they're going to, yeah. There's, there's always gambling, yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and this is not the first time the NBA has done something like this. Like back in the late 70s, they had a, uh, a I think, um, I think it was, I can't remember if they played pig or horse, but the same idea, obviously. So there's old footage on uh, YouTube between uh, Pistol Pete Maravich, who was uh, very good at sort of trick shots and ball handling and that kind of stuff, playing George the Iceman Gervin who was a really long, uh, explosive athlete. And so just interesting little uh, competitions like that. But really, they tried it, I guess, in like 2009 and 2010 at the All-Star Game and decided to scrap it. But now we're at a point where people are so desperate yeah, to and, try this. Well, and I, I think a sign of our desperation is I saw ESPN have it. Like I got alerts on my phone from ESPN about uh, – wrestlemania or yeah. you know yeah. stuff, stuff like that stuff that just just does not interest me at all no. Um, no. and uh and i'm like oh we're 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 starved we're we're hurting <laughs> yeah. as a society yeah for some sport. yeah i mean last night should have been the national championship game. yeah i i thought about that on, uh, as i was driving yesterday that yesterday would have been the national championship game yeah and we would have been able to crown our first uh, various and sundry podcast bracket challenge winner yeah that's so sad it is sad <laughs> it is sad so so uh, we we briefly talked about this before the show but do you have somebody that um a current nba player that uh if you had to go with one guy, who would you go with? In other words, you got to pick one guy to compete for you in a horse competition from the NBA. Who current, are you going with? Current player as in, you know, April 7th, 2020 current player. Yeah. Okay. Uh, probably I'm taking Trey Young. And why I, is that? I think Trey Young's a lot of fun. He's a good shooter and he's going to hit some... I think I could imagine him practicing some weird and wild shots. Okay. How about yourself? Yeah. Now I, I think this is my initial take. So uh, maybe upon further reflection, I'd go a different route, but uh, Trey young was a little out of the box there. That's, that's, that's an interesting pick. Um, I might go with Kyrie Irving. Okay. Okay. Uh, Is he hurt right now though? That's why I said April 7th. Okay. Well, I, let, let, let's clear the deck in terms of injury. Is that going to change your pick? Is there an injured player that you were going to go with that? Well, I, I might go with Steph, but um, Steph Curry, but I'll, I'll stick with Trey. I think Trey's interesting. Yeah. Part of the challenge though, is you got to have somebody who's a good enough shooter. Mm-hmm. You know? So you got to have somebody who can knock down shots, 
but you also got to have somebody who's athletic enough who can do most anything in terms of like fancy kind of ridiculous behind the backboard layups between the leg kind of, you know, it's not just a dunk competition. So, you know, it, it's got to be somebody who has that well-rounded um, kind of hitting just ridiculous shots, but also being athletic enough to do stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see if that. Uh, so are you taking Kyrie in that? Is that the, is that the final pick? I think so. Okay. I don't know who would, I don't know who'd win. Uh, Kyrie certainly has an ed- edge athletically, although I think Trey might be a better shooter. Yeah. I mean, where Kyrie's going to get in trouble in that, in that kind of matchup is the Trey Young just out there shooting 35 footers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Kyrie is a capable three-point shooter, but he's not in that league in terms of like, you know, step back to 30 feet and just consistently knock down shots like that. So I heard an interview with Trey Young uh, this week, uh, or I heard about an interview might be a better way to put it on Shaq's podcast, where he mentions that he's going to be a better shooter than Steph Curry in a couple of years. That Shaq's going to, oh, Trey Young is. Trey Young, Trey okay. Young. Trey Young said <laughs> Trey Young was going to be a better. No, no, no. Okay. Shaq. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a good clarification. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, uh, who knows? I just don't think that's possible. Nah. I mean, I, Steph is like one of the, one of the all time great shooters. Yeah. As much as that annoys me. Yes. I think that's probably true. So but just interesting anyway. So uh, as we're recording this on, uh, on April 7th, we are uh, in the week leading up to Easter. And so when it comes to our, uh, our main topic, we thought that uh, it'd be good for us to discuss the resurrection. And also, you know, it seems like with so much going on with the coronavirus, and then even last week we, we talked about lament, uh, I thought maybe yeah. it'd be a good, a, a good idea to talk about something that had a greater possibility of brightening people's day. <laughs> so um, inject a little hope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, let's, let's just start with um, when it comes to the resurrection, let's, let's talk briefly maybe about um, why does it matter? Like, let's just start kind of big picture. What, why does the resurrection matter? And so John, if you were uh, having a conversation with someone, let's say, you know, this is obviously very hypothetical these days. Let's say you're on an airplane and you're sitting next to someone since you're, this is you. I mean, this is totally you, right? You're, you're, you're the guy that strikes up the conversation with the random guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm much more of a, much more of a pop in my earbuds, listen to my audio book or podcast for, yeah. uh, for a flight and want to drink my ginger ale. Sure. Okay. But, well then, then, then let's frame it as somebody asks you so somebody sitting next to you is the guy who's asking the bunch of questions and is you know trying to find out what you do and finds out that you know you you work at a at a theological seminary and he he asks you you know okay so why do christians make such a big deal about the resurrection yeah what what would be some of the things that would come to mind as part of your response yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think my natural place that I go for the resurre- resurrection is Romans 6. Um, that and 1 Corinthians 15, 
But uh, why, in answering why do Christians make a big deal of it, uh, the answer is uh, the, the resurrection does a couple of things. It, it shows that Jesus has conquered uh, death and sin, right? Where the crucifixion was the payment, uh, the propitiation of sin, uh, the, the atonement, right? Uh, the resurrection shows uh, that, uh, that uh, he has conquered this, that he has conquered sin, that he has conquered death and has returned to life. And, and not just life, but, but new life, right? Um, and yeah. so while we have died with Christ, um, the resurrection shows that we will one day be like him. Uh, we will want, you know, he, he is the promised first fruit. So, so the, the victories we have right now over sin are things that we will eventually experience uh, in full down the road um, in, in new heavens, new earth. Yeah, yeah. Anything, any, anything you'd add? Yeah, I think there's, um, I, I think that uh, the, the key piece uh, obviously is um, the, the, the victory over sin and death. Um, but, uh, but also, um, really, the, there's a sense in which it is uh, God vindicating Jesus' identity. It's mm-hmm. uh, it is the Father vindicating that Jesus is who He says He is, and that um, His claims to be able to uh, forgive sin, and that He was uh, truly the sinless one. That as He was dying on the cross, that it wasn't His own sins that He was paying for. That He was in in essence innocent of the charges he was innocent of uh the uh the charges that would that would lead to uh would lead to death and so it's it's the father saying uh jesus was in fact innocent and that he was who he says he was and so those are kind of key pieces that that uh i always come back to as sort of the authenticating um Jesus identity. And it's interesting that even when you uh, look at uh, some of the other key passages on resurrection, you know, obviously you mentioned 1 Corinthians 15, uh, which is really in one sense, kind of the, the one-stop shop for resurrection, though there are, are several really other yeah. key passages that we'll, that we'll probably bring up here in our conversation. But what's striking is that in that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul essentially hangs everything on the resurrection and says, if the resurrection isn't true, all of this stuff about Jesus, all of this stuff about the kind of life that we've been talking about, how you should live, all of this stuff about forgiveness of sins, all this stuff about a new humanity, about a new possibility of way of life, about the spirit, all of that is meaningless if that resurrection did not happen. And I believe that happens in the context of the Corinthians having debates in their own town about whether the resurrection was going to happen again, correct? Whether this was something that had happened or would happen. Yeah, and I think that um, it it seems like perhaps maybe there were some uh, in and around the Corinthian church who were, uh, who, who may have stressed maybe just that it was a spiritual resurrection. Hmm. that it wasn't a physical bodily resurrection. And so, um, and, and part of that plays into 
the ancient Greek culture where uh, there was a pretty common kind of dualism that uh, spirit was good and matter or body was bad. And so a common Greek way of thinking was that death freed the soul from the prison of the body. So if you have that mindset, when the early Christians came along and said, Jesus was raised from the dead bodily, you can see how there'd be a disconnect of why would anyone want that? It was category defying. And of course, Christians adopted that, right? Or uh, maybe not Christians, but uh, there was a particular heresy in the first century that adopted that known as Gnosticism, right? That, that sort of adopted that dualistic mindset and thinking. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and eventually even uh, Docetism came along in terms of the, the Jesus only seemed to be human, but wasn't really human. He only appeared to be that. And so... Um, yeah, he was sort of a, sort of a, sort of a ghost. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, well, let's, let's land there then for a few, uh, for a moment then. Um, let's talk, as you think about it, why does the bodily resurrection of Jesus matter? Why is merely a sort of spiritual resurrection not enough? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, why does a bodily resurrection matter? Um, well, I, I think it authenticates the scriptures then as well, right? Um, in, in the scriptures, the gospels present us a bodily resurrection, right? They, the women went to the tomb. There was no body there. Um, so so it, it, it presents it that way. Um, and and then, even... Uh, and even when he appears to the disciples, Jesus goes out of his way to make the point of, look, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. Do you have something to eat? <laughs> do you have something that I can prove to you? I'm physical. You can watch me do something that only applies to a physical body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I would say there's a, um, um, in a way that, that it, sh he is, uh, the, prototype for us. He is going to experience, he has experienced what we will experience. So there will be something of a bodily resurrection for us as well. Yeah. Yeah. And even it, I think it, it affirms the, the goodness of creation, the original goodness of creation, right? Obviously because of human sin, uh, the creation is under a curse, but uh, the fact that uh, Jesus has a physical resurrection body is in part God's way of affirming that bodily existence is how he created humanity to live. And so um, it's, it's not, in one sense, it's a direct contradiction to the common Greek approach of the body and, the, and matter is bad, spirit is good, the whole goal is to separate the two and escape and uh, the, the bodily resurrection affirms the goodness of, uh, of creation, the, the, the uh, beginning of goodness of creation. And ultimately, um, it is uh, an affirmation that God made us as human beings to be embodied creatures. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, a, that's an excellent point. Um, as we continue to think about this, 
Uh, sh should we think about this merely as an individual um, resurrection, like like you know each of us is is going to get a resurrection body, or should we think about this more corporately as um, as a church or as as the people of God? How, how do you how do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's a it's really a both and. Um, mm -hmm. When uh, when you look at the Old Testament, there very much seems to be a focus. You know, the Old Testament doesn't talk a ton explicitly about uh, about resurrection. But in the passages that do talk about it, like Ezekiel 37 uh, and uh, Daniel 12, there's very much a corporate element that it's the, it's the people of God together being resurrected to experience uh, eternal life together, not just as individuals, but ultimately in the context of a, uh, of a community. And what are, what are some of the benefits of thinking more corporately about that versus, I, I, think, I think Western people like us have a tendency to focus on the individual resurrection, but not the corporate. What are some of the graces and benefits of a corporate resurrection? Yeah, so I think that um, in some ways it's a, um, it is linked back to what you have in the garden, where you have God creating humanity in his image and so as a result of that you know the idea that god created us to live in community uh as part of his original intention i think uh should help us to understand that when it comes to uh resurrection it's um it's something that uh we experience it together as a, a well, let me put it this way. I think it's one of those things where it's um, the totality of our experience as the, as the people of God together uh, is greater than the, the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. And such that when we are part of a community, our experience of resurrection will be much richer and deeper than, uh, than it would be if it's just sort of conceived of as individually. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, a, good, that's a good word. But, I, you know, one thing that when, when I think of resurrection that I think sometimes we don't often recognize enough is the sort of already not yet dynamic of the resurrection. Yeah. And the fact that uh, according to passages like uh, Romans 6 uh, and even uh, parts of John 5, that both of those texts make it very clear that there is very much a real sense in which when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, <clears throat> when they're born again, that is an act of resurrection. They are taken from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And so anyone who's had that experience is already spiritually resurrected, that they have been raised from the dead spiritually. They were spiritually dead in their sins and transgressions, God made them alive with Christ. And so there's, there's a sense in which when I talk about the resurrection with people, what I try to help them understand is that we've already been spiritually raised from the dead. So when we talk about waiting for our bodily resurrection, in essence, there's a sense in which we're waiting for our physical bodies to catch up with our spiritual nature in terms of being raised from the dead. 
Yeah, and I, I, I think I'd encourage everybody to go read Romans 6 and just see that interplay a little bit, to see how the verbs change, right? About uh, the discussion of uh, we will be resurrected and we will, but, but there is a sense in which we have died and we have been buried with him, right? And so we're, we are dead to sin and we will be raised. Yeah, and even um, in some ways, it might even be clearer there in John 5, Mm-hmm. If you read through uh, John five nineteen through 29, Jesus talks about both the already and the not yet dynamic of resurrection that, uh, you know, he, he basically says something to the effect of an hour is coming and is now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man and they will come out to life, basically. And then there's a part later in that passage that talks about how you know, Jesus says there's a day coming in the future when uh, everyone will be raised, uh, whether some to judgment and some to eternal life. So there's a both and there when it comes to our present spiritual resurrection and our future bodily resurrection. Uh, Doc, any, any particular podcast you'd recommend uh, about the resurrection or about uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, this, uh, this coming Sunday? Wow, so that's a that's that's quite the uh, put it on the put it on the T for me there. Uh, is that I a loaded question? It, yeah. it, it is, <laughs> yeah. So uh, about four years ago, um, I uh, was interviewed on the uh, Ask Pastor John podcast. That's the podcast that uh, that John Piper does. He's interviewed by Tony Reinke. And uh, back in 2016, they invited me to talk about uh, the, the title that they gave it was 10 Ways Easter Changes Everything. So you had to come up with 10 ways? They, you didn't get to say, well, I only have seven or six. <laughs> they, they said, you must have 10. Uh, they asked for 10. So uh, wow. okay. I, I, I did come up with 10. So if you go on to the Desiring God website or even into the Ask Pastor John archives, uh, that's episode 822. We'll put the link in the show notes as well. Yeah. And actually, uh, that whole week, they did a series of podcast episodes on um, on elements of Easter, the resurrection, etc. And the one after me, episode 823, was an interview with Don Carson. So, um, you know. Us right there together, you know, you and Don. right at right after me, you can get uh, even uh, perhaps an even better perspective from uh, from DA on that. So wow, wow, Don. Wow. So yeah, we'll put uh, we'll put the links up for that. But um, you know, when I think too of the of the resurrection, um, one of the pieces that I that I uh, often reflect on, I think a lot of us do, is uh, what is the nature of that resurrection body going to be like? And, you know, I think both of us have been in enough teaching contexts, especially with students, uh, college students, but even in the church, where you get those kind of questions, right? Like, so, okay, what's my resurrection body really going to be like? And so um, I think that's always an interesting kind of exercise to reflect on. Um, do you have any thoughts as as people ask you about that? What do you What are your some some of your go to uh, answers or? Yeah, yeah, my go to answer is off the bat. I just say I don't know. <laughs> and I'm just like I'm not here to speculate. Um, I, I I don't I don't really I don't really know. Um, and uh, so so that's that's sort of my generic answer. I mean, uh, it's 
yeah, I think I think we see some things from Christ that are that are interesting, right? Like how he gets into rooms and and you know some of those sorts of things that he eats. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, I think some of some of those things are really interesting, but I, I I don't know that I that I have my stock answer is just I'm not really too sure. What what what, yeah. what are your stock answers? Well, I, I think it's good to start there. Um, I think looking at First Corinthians 15 uh, and the, uh, the gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection, I think it's helpful to highlight a couple of things. The first is that there, are, uh, there will be points of continuity between our current physical bodies and points of discontinuity. And so, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, First Corinthians 15 makes the point of um, the sort of the the seed to the plant kind of anal- analogy, where you know, if you if you look at the seed of a plant, rarely can you ever determine exactly what that full grown plant is going to look like, and yet sure. it legitimately comes out of that seed, so it's not completely different, right? And so I think that. Uh, there will be continuity. And, you know, I think you have to be careful with what uh, sort of taking what you see about Jesus and applying it all the way to us. Like, I'm not convinced that we'll just be able to um, go through walls and locked doors and just, you know, sort of physically appear in that kind of context. Uh, I think that might be something specifically reserved for Jesus. But it is interesting to me that Jesus' own resurrection body still has the scars of his crucifixion. And so uh, that makes me wonder, so will we have marks uh, from our uh, earthly life that will carry over onto our physical bodies in the resurrection? And, you know, I think that's possible as sort of uh, memorial statements of God's work in our life through the experiences that brought that about. Um, Another common question that I think I get a lot from students is, how old will we look in these resurrection yeah, that, bodies? Great question. No clue. No that's, clue. That's, that's my answer to that as well. I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I don't think that we're locked into looking the age that we are when we die. So mm-hmm. in other words, I don't think infants that die are going to be infants, locked in, as infants in, yeah. the, in the resurrection. And so... Um, but at the same time, you know, it's easy to sort of speculate in terms of, well, what's the sort of idealized age, you know, is it, you know, 25, is it 30? Like, uh, who knows in terms of what that looks like? Um, and, and even you think about Jesus, right? He, his, his disciples initially didn't recognize him. Now Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to know how much of that was God just sort of shielding their eyes. Right. So they're, so there's that element of it too. So, um, but I think that uh, probably the last thing that I'd want to circle back around on in terms of uh, the resurrection is that God raising us from the dead is part of his larger program of transforming creation itself. Hmm. And um, part of what I just keep coming back to is the fact that scripture, and in particular Romans 6, regularly stresses that, uh, and, in, and Romans 8 as well, that the same resurrection power that brought Jesus back to life 
is at work in our lives in our battle against sin and in our battle against um, unrighteousness. And that, that's a, you know, when you think about what kind of power does it take to raise someone from the dead, that is just stunning. And to think that that same sort of resurrection power is at work in our lives on a daily basis to enable us to pursue godliness uh, is a great source of encouragement, I think, as we even move into this uh, week where we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, that the resurrection is not just something for the future. It's something we experience its power now in our everyday lives. And uh, that should give us hope in the midst of uh, challenging circumstances like we face today. It, it should give us something to look forward to, but it, you're right. It should also give us uh, the confidence that, that the, the power of the Spirit, uh, the power that raised Christ from the dead, really stands behind us in our, in our battle against uh, sin, the devil, and, and the world. Absolutely. And so uh, on that note of hope, I think uh, that's a good place for us to, to end on that. We'll, we'll, throw some, uh, uh, we'll throw that link to the Ask Pastor John episode uh, in the show notes, and uh, maybe even we can get, uh, get that tweeted out uh, sometime this week as, a, uh, as an encouragement. Yeah. But we're, we're to the point now, since we're at uh, episode 14, where we have to talk about our athletes that we're naming the episode after. And, and 14 is, is, has not been a popular number. No, it, it was so, so no. disappointing as to do the research on this and, yeah. and realize that, you know, there are numbers where, where we had so many options. And, you know, then we get to 14 and really the options are pretty uh, thin, right? Yeah, well, I, and we're really working with three options. Yeah. Um, in, in the main category. And you, I believe you have a couple of uh, Buckeyes on there. Yeah, when it comes to Ohio State, um, Probably uh, the two number 14s that stand out, Bobby Hoying, great quarterback for the Buckeyes in the mid-90s. Uh, he was the quarterback for Eddie George uh, ah. back in the, in the mid-90s there. And the then from the center to the running back. That's yeah. right. Though he, he lit it up through the air. Uh, okay. he, 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 had, uh, he had some good receivers to throw to. But uh, K.J. Hill, just graduating this year, uh, also wore number 14, is leaving the school as the all-time leader in receptions. And so uh, great player for the Buckeyes there. But all right, who, who do we have on the, uh, in the main category here, John? Well, three, three main guys, and then I just thought of another one I'd like to add. Um, oh, wow. I know. Uh, well, we have uh, uh, Vinny Testaverde. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, Vinny uh, played, and it, it's kind of – he kind of goes back and forth between 14 and 16. Yeah. Um, it's kind of all over the place. I'm willing to bet we have more options with 16. So I'm yes. not too worried yeah. about him getting picked twice. But no. uh, he, he was 14 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that, uh, in that lovely creamsicle uh, uniforms that they used to wear. Yes. Um, which I've heard some cry on social media that for coming back to those creamsicle uniforms. So you never know. Um, and then, uh, and, and uh, so he did that with the Bucks. He was 16 with the Jets, 14 with the Patriots, and I believe 16 with the Panthers. Um, and, and, keep... and part of what's remarkable about him, he, he had a great college career, but part of what makes him uh, unique is the fact that he had such a long NFL career. 
Yeah. I mean, he played into his, wasn't he mid forties, like 44, maybe 43, 44 when he was still. I, I, I believe the Cowboys brought him back for like half a season or something, or, you know, they had their quarterback. I think it was Quincy Carter maybe went down and they brought him back to replace Quincy. You remember Quincy Carter? Yeah. I sure. think that was it, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, okay. So Vinny is, is one. Uh, the, I believe they called him the magician, right? It wasn't that his nickname. Yeah, that's that, that's news to me. I don't remember okay, that. Okay, but. okay. I remember a, a TV commercial. Um, anyway, uh, next, 14, uh, and this would be controversial to choose, uh, Pete Rose uh, yeah. wore 14. Played, Mr. Hustle. Uh, played for, uh, yeah, and his hustle was second to none. Uh, Which, when field. you think about it, I mean, his nickname was Charlie Hustle, right? And then that was given to him because of his on-field play. You know, he would sprint to first base even when he got walked, right? Yeah. But then, of course you discover later that he could have been given that name for other reasons. Hustling. Yeah. Hustling. Yes. In the gambling sense of, uh, yeah. uh, obviously he was banned from baseball for, uh, for gambling, uh, and not just gambling in general, but gambling on baseball while he was the manager of the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it was, and he's kind of come out as a, as a sleazeball probably in oh, the last, yeah. you know, he did an ABC interview in like 2000 or something like that. And, and it did not go well. And, and recently though, with the um, immunity given to the Astros, uh, he's written a letter to major league trying to get back into the hall of fame, uh, which, yeah. you know, uh, and then our third guy, uh, which, frankly, I'm a little, other than his name, I don't know too much about Bob Cousy, uh, who played basketball for, uh, for the Celtics in the, when did, when did he play this? 60s? 50s. 50s. Yeah. 50s into the early 60s. Um, yeah. That's, that's a little before our time. Um, I looked at some pictures of him earlier. He looked like a very fundamental player. Yeah. But that was kind of true of that era, right? I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, he's, uh, <laughs> he's listed at 6'1", 175, Man. which, you know, powerhouse. When, <laughs> when you look at, when you look at today's players, obviously not many 6'1 guys are, are super successful today. And if they are, they're crazy quick or they're like lights out shooters or something like that. So anyway, um, who you got, who, who do you want to go with here? Well, I want to drop in my last one. We oh, will right. not we will not pick him. Okay. But uh but uh there was a quarterback for the New England Patriots other than Vinny Testaverde that wore 14 and his name I can't remember his first name. His last name was Grogan. Remember Grogan? Steve Grogan. Steve Grogan and uh I have a story about Steve Grogan, but we can't tell I can't tell it on pod. Um so it's got to be an off pod story. <laughs> Um, but it involves. I was at a. I was at a Steelers Patriots game, and somebody was wearing a Grogan jersey, which was a okay. deep cut, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and somebody yelled something very inappropriate um, at this Grogan. Uh, Shocking at a football yeah. game, inappropriate yeah. language. Yeah, that's that's yeah, surprising. It was, and it was, it was, it was in a drunken stupor as well. So it was, it was also surprising. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was very funny, but I can't repeat it. Yeah. All right, so who are we going with here, John? Um, well, uh, Bob Cousy feels uh, a little before our time, and frankly, it's your and I choice. Um, and he's he, also a Celtic, let's be honest. I, yeah. Neither of us yeah. are Celtic fans. No. Which, not, by no. the way, I, I've been re-watching, we, re, we re-watched the 30 for 30 
three-part series on the Celtics and the Lakers. And that just reminded me of every additional reason why I can't stand the Celtics. But anyway. Um, uh, I struggle with Pete Rose uh, because of uh, the intense gambling and sleaziness uh, that emanates from him. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and so it feels like the safe option and maybe the vanilla option is Vinny Testaverde. Yeah, I think I might right. be okay with today. I think you're right. I think you're right. So one thing you liked this week, what do you, what do you got for us? Um, so, uh, I, I think as I've talked about on air, I just moved into a new neighborhood, um, bought a house, uh, and I've set up my home office and my home office overlooks the street. Um, and so, uh, I have this neighbor and my neighbor is the one thing I like this week. I have not met him. Um, but, uh, his, let, let me just give you a description. He has a big flagpole in his front yard and he has a big American flag hanging from it. And right underneath it is a Jamaican flag. Okay. Um, and so I think uh, my understanding is his wife is Jamaican. Uh, okay. although I have not seen her, I've only seen him and he, just has this big childlike grin on his face anytime he walks outside. And at seven o'clock every night, he walks outside and starts playing loud music through speakers that he has set up in his garage. So I'm hearing like, <laughs> like, like top 40 hits right now playing. And I was sitting here the other day and he started flying a drone around the neighborhood. Okay. Taking pictures <laughs> of people's driveways because we, we had the, the children of the neighborhood went and use sidewalk chalk in everybody's driveway and I was talking to one of the other neighbors and apparently um, he's been doing a lot of construction and he's working on his Christmas decorations for next year already Um, so so he's just kind of been entertaining to watch from afar Um, and I've also been told that he dresses up as like a flying monkey from uh, Wizard of Oz and will like scare neighborhood children with it Oh and so he's, he's kind of just a big kid and it's kind of been fun to watch from a distance, but I don't know that I want to get too close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's well, my one thing I like this week. What about yeah, you? Yeah. Well, my, mine doesn't quite compare with that, but um, uh, with the warmer weather, uh, I actually uh, have been uh, out in the driveway playing around the world with my sons. Uh, around the world is another uh, sort of basketball game if people aren't familiar with it where you uh, have to make a shot from uh, different spots around uh, the basketball court and um, yeah that's just been a lot of fun uh, they uh, they have been winning more games than I than I like out of that oh. um, so actually uh, John has been winning probably the most games of wow. that so um, yeah, he'll he'll appreciate that shout out. But uh, it's been fun to compete with them. I, I I did win a game the other night where I had to come back from way behind, hit a, hit a hot streak of of hitting, you know, probably five or six, maybe seven shots in a row to go from, you know, on in trouble to a a, a stunning comeback victory. So that's my one thing I like this week. Okay. Um, and uh, in comparison to Bob Cousy, I just looked up Trey Young. Yeah. Uh, six foot one, 180. Okay. So okay. he was bigger than Bob Cousy, but barely. And they're probably fudging that. He's probably 5'8 and 140, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
Well, I'd say mission accomplished here, right? We've yeah. uh, we've we've covered our various and sundry topics, and so I think it's time for us to say uh, until next time. The Lord bless y'all, real good. Later.